That's it. We're all going home. Forget it. <laughs> I'm done. Um, so, the, uh, as Rob was saying, um, I'm going to be talking this morning about our ministry to young adults in the parish, um, which is something as a chaplain um, and also somebody who now has three young adult children living with me. Um, uh, well, four, actually. Um, we, uh, they're, they're very close to my heart. Um, and I want to talk about like, what makes this, I think, so special, so powerful, so important for us as a community, but also, I think, for, um, uh, for me personally, about what it is that they bring to, to our lives and what they bring to the kingdom of God. And to do that, before we get into that, I want to read, I'm going to read you a chunk of scripture. I think you, if you've heard me preach before over the last while, you'll know I like reading big chunks, particularly this one, this chunk, which is in the message version, because Eugene Peterson's translation of 1 Corinthians 12 and this idea of the body of Christ is just stunning. Also, there's a couple of hilarious moments in it as well, which I really appreciate because, you know, you just kind of got to love that. So this is what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about what it means to be one body altogether. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By the means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and our piecemeal lives. We used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we were proclaimed in word and in action when we were baptized. Each of us is now part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all of this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together Together, if foot says, I'm not elegant like hand embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not, if, I'm not beautiful like eye, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted us. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. From no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important in it on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you, or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's part of your own body, you are concerned. When it's a part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, without comparison. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church, every part dependent on every other. The parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. 
So to talk about our young adult ministry and, and um, the way in which it's developed over the last year and the way in which our relationships have developed over the last few years and, and I guess my involvement in it, I kind of have to tell you part of my story. And I often kind of forget that, that, um, that you, you don't, that many of you like don't know me or like haven't, I haven't known you, I didn't know you like when I kind of started out in ministry. Um, and so I often don't tell stories of the time, like the, you know, the dark time pre-Holy Trinity in my life. Um, uh, it was about 18 years ago um, that I sat down with Jacob Reynolds, um, our buildings manager, uh, and he was principal of IBI at the time and was interviewing me for a place as an 18-year-old in the Irish Bible Institute to study theology. Um, and uh, so if you've got problems with where I've ended up, it's his fault. Um, but after I finished my degree in applied theology and youth work, I spent four years at Scripture Union as the assistant manager and then manager of their youth and schools team. From there, I moved down to Kilkenny and uh, became director of youth work for about 150 churches spread across seven counties in the southeast. And at the time, I thought I was going to spend my whole life in youth ministry. But as I changed and grew, I began to feel more and more of a heart for young adults. And I came to realize that in so many churches, young adults and young professionals are the most neglected demographic. Many churches understand the importance of ministry to children and to teenagers, and they organize themselves around the needs of adults who are older and established, particularly if they have a family. And that's tragic because the leap from teenager to young adult in church world is a big one. If you spend your teenage years in youth ministry, you have events that are based on the things that you're passionate about, your style, your likes, all the things that kind of make you who you are and a part of your youth culture. You have leaders who care about you and meet you one-to-one -one and are concerned with your discipleship and your growth. You have residential experiences to help you grow, books and resources that are created to help you develop. And then you leave school and the church treats you like at 18 that you have the same needs as like, you know, a 32-year-old mother, mother of three or a 65-year-old considering retirement. You hit 18, you go to college and they're like, great, here's your pew. And you've gone from having this entire idea of like God is developing you and calling you and moving you towards something and there's all this input going into the way in which you understand yourself and what God has made you for and it turns out God made you for this pew. <laughs> or at least that's how you can come to experience it. And I really noticed this, like I felt it in a deep, um, profound and tangible way when I was living in Kilkenny because we had these fantastic initiatives, drop-in centers, youth groups, Bible studies, and there were, but there were no young adults who could help us with them, or very few, because most of the ones who grew up in church moved away from Kilkenny for college, and then they found work elsewhere, and it crippled our work, and it threatened its longevity, but it also made me want to know, where are these young adults finding a home for themselves? If they're away from the church in which they grew up, what will they be offered? What home will they find? What community will they find to practice their faith? And how open will that community be to them practicing their faith on their own terms as God has called them to be? In setting, uh, instead of investing in young adults, most churches, I think, put them in a middle ground of too old to be tailored to, but too young to lead. And this is how the church at large has ended up taking the most passionate, teachable, independent, and time-rich part of their communities and turned them into pew fodder. There's an old expression that children should be seen and not heard. Um, that, I think, is how much of the church at large feels about young adults. They would love to have droves of quiet, obedient, tithing students and young professionals. But that's not the case here. And it's never been the case here. 
over the past few years, several people, in particular Paul Keegan, um, has done an amazing job of like, creating discipleship opportunities for young adults. And it's in the last year that we've put together like a coordinated vision for what it means for our young adults to be a crucial part of our community, a crucial part of our body. And they already are crucial. You just may not know it. Um, and I love, one of the things I love about them is they're boisterous and they're loud and they're bananas a huge amount of the time. But they actually serve quietly in different parts of the church that you wouldn't know about. If someone was to like Avengers Infinity War, our young adults out, they all like faded to dust and blew away, for those of you who missed that reference, suddenly you'd find like a bunch of teams around the church would be really depleted. A lot of our worship teams would suddenly be losing members. Our visuals team, our sound teams. And our, our, our ministry to youth themselves. Our young adults, they have so much to offer us and they have so much potential and we are so much richer as a result of their presence with us. So over the last year, we've tried to figure out what does it mean for us to actually develop our young adult ministry. Um, for me, it started with a picture. Um, put up the picture there. Um, so uh, for years, I worked with cross-cultural mission teams, always a fascinating experience, particularly from the US and from the UK, um, who had a vision for coming to Ireland and setting our young people on fire. Um, and they seemed to have this belief that if they ran the right event and if they said the right words and played the right songs, it would be like putting a flame to dry kindling and, you know, it would, it would, you know, the young Irish hearts would take off. And it was amazing because it was almost fascinating to watch because what worked elsewhere in so many other contexts tended not to work in Ireland. And it would fall completely fat if they weren't working with students who grew up, if they were working with students who grew up outside of Protestant churches. The picture in my head of um, what ministry to Irish young people, uh, young adults looks like today is less like trying to set kindling to light, but rather I feel like most of the young adults I work with, particularly as a chaplain working in a university, is like, I, I feel like Irish people, Irish young adults are like hot embers covered in ash. They're burnt out on bad religion. They're sick of having their trust broken. They don't want to just attend. They don't, um, they don't want certain questions to be forbidden. I don't know if you've ever tried to light ash on fire, but it's a pointless exercise. Because the reason that there's ash is because everything that could be burned has been burned. But when it comes to embers and ash, underneath the surface, you still find something burning. Something that can be re revealed with enough fresh air, with enough space, where heat and light can suddenly be seen and felt. So that's what I think ministry to young adults is about. It's about creating space. It's about breathing fresh air. It's about in what, what, inviting what is beneath the surface to be liberated. And that's why in my diary, in, on my phone, Thursday nights, our ministry young adults is still called Heart. Now, I've run this name past them, and they don't like it, all right? And that's fine, because it's their thing. Um, but in my diary, it's still called Heart. And, it's th and the reason is, is that it's this, um, is because Heart is the idea of a fireplace in a home around which people gather to know and be known, to sing and to learn and to love. And that's what I wanted to call it, but they hated it, and that's fine. Yeah, one day we'll, we'll get a name. One day, right? We're a year in, right? The one thing we will not call... Just call don't shake your head at me. <laughs> right. So, one of the, uh, so when it came to this, in order to, um, to come to life, we realized we don't need a program, we need a culture. So we didn't need to go and like, download the latest thing that a big church somewhere else is doing. We needed to create a culture, a space, for people to exist in a way that is safe, in a way that leads to their flourishing. And so that's been our starting point. 
So we tried to create a culture based on the choices that we make in the community that we're building together. So here's what we're, here's what we're trying to choose together. We have five values, okay? You may or may not like them. I'm fine with that either. Um, the first one is unity over uniformity. Being one does not mean that we have to have only one set of beliefs, opinions, or experiences. And this can be as significant as whether or not we believe that pineapple belongs on pizza or be as crucially important as the fact that pineapple definitely does not belong on pizza. We have different beliefs about the Christian, uh, about the Christian life, about spiritual disciplines, about relationships, about community, about calling, about career, and about the Bible itself. Our goal is not to be uniform or to dismiss or remove our difference. The gathering together is not about knocking off the things that make us unique or, the, or the, different ways, the different ways in which we see things. It's about learning to be united in love despite these differences. So unity over uniformity. The second value is hard truths over handy lies. It's hard realizing that things are more complicated and nuanced um, than you were taught growing up. But we'd rather seek truth even if it's hard to accept or come to terms with. And that means that like, if you inherited a faith that's like, based on bumper stickers or bumper sticker interpretation of certain verses in the Bible, actually learning what they mean in their context can actually be really traumatic. Because you may be placing your, your faith in the entire way of seeing the Bible or the entire way of seeing one verse that shaped your understanding of your place in the world, your future, what God wanted for you. And suddenly you can find, actually, that's not what the original writer was saying. Or actually... In some of these situations, life is much more complex, much more nuanced, there's much more layers to it. It's not as simple as it used to be. And those truths are hard to accept, but they're better than the convenient lie that keeps us from engaging with the pain or the struggle or the heartbreak of our, cha- our faith changing and evolving over time. Value number three is unresolved questions over uninformed answers. Uh, one of my favorite moments um, uh, that has kept coming up is like, uh, so let me tell you, I guess, about how we gather, right? Is we'll go, um, we gather in the, in the lounge here. I believe that's what it's officially called. We gather in lounge. We bought toasters because one of my friends did a piece of research on all the successful young adult ministries in North America, and he found they only had two things in common. They don't meet on Sundays, and there's always food. And I was like, okay, well, we can't afford or, like, make a pasta bake every week, but we can buy toasters, and Irish people love toast. And so it's an hour-long tea and toast um, from, like, we, meet, we start at 7, which means people show up at 25 to 8. Um, and, uh, and, and, for, and we spend just time together, just hanging out, drinking tea, eating toast together, right? At about 8 o'clock, we move into the side room. Apparently, we finish at 9. We usually finish between 10 and half 10. Um, and, uh, and we begin a conversation. And we begin by sitting around, and we read the passage together, and we take turns over it. And then we break into small groups. And instead of saying, okay, here are the questions we want, we just ask, what stuck out to you? What's different than you remember it? What don't you understand? What don't you like? What upsets you? What is hard to hear? Like we just, we just do different questions each week. But they're not, met, they're not with a guided destination. They're just meant to open up the conversation. And then in small groups, we chat together. And then we come back as a big group and we talk about it and we flesh it all out together. And uh, it's so great because our guys, we, they always think of the thing you don't think of. Like, you know, we'd be reading a passage. And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, and immediately the question is, uh, can Jesus read minds? And that's a 30-minute conversation talking about how that works itself out. One of my favorite moments was a question that was raised this week on Thursday, which is in Matthew 21, in the triumphal entry, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, right? He comes in riding on? No. In Matthew 21, it's two animals. 
a donkey and a colt. And it says he's riding them both at the same time. It says he sat on them. <laughs> the idea of him riding in, right, with one foot on either animal is the greatest image ever. It looked silly when it was just him riding a donkey, but if he's using donkeys like skis, it's incredible, right? But that's the kind of thing that you just, like, especially if you grew up in church, it just washes over. You don't think about it, but our guys do. They bring it up. And that might not seem significant, but we, it can be intense when we encounter things in Scripture or tradition that we're not sure how to come to terms with. It's okay not to have everything wrapped up in a neat little bow. It's okay to say, I don't know, because it teaches us to be humble and to keep searching and to empathize with others who struggle with things that we don't. Value number four is sincerity over sentimentality. Speak the truth, even if you don't like how it sounds. No more Sunday school answers. Don't tell me you're fine if you're not. Don't tell me you get it if you don't. It's possible to read things that Jesus says and does and not like them. And it's possible to feel that you don't like him in that moment. Jesus cursing the fig tree is a difficult passage to deal with. We talked about that on Thursday as well. One of our guys was just like, I don't think I like Jesus here. Good. Give me your honesty. Honor me with your honesty. Because then we can actually get into what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you're going through, and then you can truly engage with the text. And then finally, conversation over confrontation. Confrontation isn't necessarily bad. All good relationships actually require elements of confrontation. But instead, this is about posture. It's about do we come with a desire for authentic conversation or do we come with a desire to dominate and make other people believe what we do? I have not agreed with everything that everyone has said on Thursday night. Sometimes I'll say something. Sometimes I won't. But if we're truly going to be a community that is together, it, need, there need, it needs to be a safe people, a safe place where people can say things, explore things, say them out loud and see how they sound. Where we can actually converse, where we can be right and be wrong. All of us are right and wrong at the same time about a bunch of things in our lives. Why should community be any different? And so we try to adopt a, a, a posture of openness to each other. Um, our young adult ministry also isn't perfect. Uh, we talk a lot about God. Um, and, uh, and one of the things we're realizing is we probably don't talk to him enough. Um, and so that's something we're going to need to learn to do more. But this has been a good starting point. We're getting to know each other, but we needed to go deeper. We need to find ways to serve and give together, particularly, I think, in areas of justice and compassion, um, and particularly in our city, like beyond our community. I think it'd be really good for us to learn those. And our vision is that those things will come, right, come in time. But for right now, for us, like this is enough. This is crucial. This is beautiful. And honestly, it's the highlight of my week. No offense. Um, and the reason I think it's, it's so important is because of our interconnectedness as a community. Not because of what's happening in isolation, but because of what it means for the whole body. As I was preaching, uh, preparing to preach today, the, the, those last two lines of our reading stood out to me. Um, do we have to? Oh, yeah. Uh, if one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. And if one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance.
as a community, if we're truly going to be a body, like one of the things that is a real struggle for, I, I think, us as a community on su- when we gather on Sunday mornings, is there is space for a lot of things here. There is a, a, a space for a lot of learning together, a lot of worshiping together. But to be honest, if, this is a, if, if you're in a place or a season of hurt, this sometimes isn't the best time to get an opportunity for for sharing that with people. It can go by so quickly and people can be so busy and we can be so busy achieving. And that's why uh, actually spending life together I think is so important. We want to journey towards being one body with many parts. And in the journeying together, we want to get to the point where we actually, when one of us is hurt, the others feel it. And when we're, each of us can feel the hurt of the other and be involved in their healing. And we also want to be the kind of place where w- when, one part, when one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. And I think that this, in so many ways this is already happening. When our children's ministry is thriving, when it's flourishing, that blesses and shapes families. When our, young, uh, when our youth ministry is thriving and does good work with teenagers, it may even sometimes make your teenagers bearable, which is wonderful. Um, that's a joke there, guys, um, just, just in case you're, you're... I think that joke may have been too real for some people. <laughs> yeah. And when our young adults flourish, it doesn't just keep them attending or keep them participating. It, it begins and sparks off careers in ministry, in studying theology and learning to practice it with others, in serving those who are coming behind them, in leading you in worship in drawing you closer to God, in asking you questions that make you deeply uncomfortable because you've never thought about it like that before. And to be honest, you're completely fine not asking that question. What's up? The questions that they bring, the love that they bring, the goodness, the exuberance that they bring, when they flourish, we flourish. Because we are one body. It's not a question of whether or not we are going to be interconnected. We already are. It's a question of what are we going to do with our interconnectedness already. And our young adults are a blessing to our body. And I'm so proud to be a part of the ministry to them with amazing people who bring amazing things to the table. You guys are awesome. You're the highlight of my week. I love most of you. (laughs) I love all of you. Too easy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your gift. For in your boundless goodness, you do not you do not hold back the creativity that you made us with. The sacrificial love that you demonstrated. That we are made in the image of a God who is community. And so we seek it. I thank you so much for our young adults, for the treasure that they are to us, for the ways in which your goodness and your gifts flow through them into our lives, for the ways in which they bless us that we know about and the ways in which they bless us that we don't. As they flourish, help us enter into the exuberance. And may we open our lives to serving them, supporting them, getting alongside them, that they may become who you have called them to be, not in spite of our community.
but because of what you're doing in our community, a community in which they are a treasure part. In your name, amen.